It's the Adam Crowley Show. This is the kind of thing that just tickles my ball. On ESPN Pittsburgh and the iHeartRadio app. Here is a tiger hater. Tom, who is shirtless back in the studio, is a Tom is a Tom Tiger lover, uh, as is Brian. I think Tom is a Tiger masturbator, though. I, I think he's got it pretty darn good for Mr. Woods. Guilty. But yeah, you are, and that's okay. That's all right. I'm fine with that. He made yesterday enjoyable. Because the pirates would have gone and mucked it all up for me. <laughs> Driving back and forth from Latrobe mucks my day up. I didn't have to. I should have just stayed here upon further review. But, look, he was the beacon in making a Sunday less of a Sunday. Sundays without football feel like an extra work day because you're just expecting Monday to suck. And Tiger Woods fixed that for me. Tiger Woods made me, for three hours, sit there and watch something that I wouldn't have watched had he not been there. Now, that being said, I keep seeing, golf is saved, golf is great, ratings are up 69%, nice, from last year's PGA Championship, and that's true, that the ratings are up. But that's not because of golf, it's because of Tiger. It's a phenomenon. We're an event and phenomenon country. Soccer's getting bigger, but we all dive in for the World Cup. Football is huge, but everyone watches the Super Bowl. The Olympic hockey games do well when the U.S. is advancing. Do we love hockey as a nation? No. We love spectacle. We love phenomenon. We love events. Do we love baseball as a country anymore? No. Not really. Regionally, but nationally we came together for the home run race in 1998 and are on the edge of our seats for Barry Bonds because he's a phenomenon. Do we love swimming? Need to watch it? No. We needed to watch Michael Phelps. Do we love watching cycling as a country? No, yet Lance Armstrong made it something we did watch in the summertime. I was on ESPN.com today, and there was nothing, nothing on the front page about Brooks Kepka. Nothing, not one thing, not one article, not one on the front page the day after he wins the PGA Championship. Nothing. And it's because we don't care about golf. We care about Tiger. And there are nice storylines in golf. I mean, we can we can put our arms around Kepka a little bit. Certainly put our arms around his girlfriend. We can get behind that. We can certainly, never mind. We can understand, I can understand, why people would be interested in this and that and the other. And if people are rooting for Phil Mickelson, I get that too. And if you are a Speed fan or a McElroy fan, fine, I get that. But how many players did you hear yesterday when they were interviewed talk about how they've never seen crowds like that? Or if they're old enough, they hadn't seen crowds like that since Tiger was there. Tiger Woods is a phenomenon. Tiger Woods ain't saving golf. Tiger Woods is separate from golf while at the same time playing golf, if that makes sense. Do you understand, Tom? Oh, completely. Completely. I- I'm I'm with you entirely, man. It kind of gave it that NFL Sunday feel, right? It, it, it wasn't the same as NFL Sunday, but... It was a nice little appetizer as we get closer to those NFL Sundays every weekend. It, it, it was. I, I was in front of my TV from the moment he teed off until seven o'clock at night, just watching golf. And that wouldn't have been the case if it was just Kupka and Adam Scott going back and forth. 
No, I'd have tuned in for the last three holes. Exactly. <laughs> and then by I that point, Kupka probably had it wrapped up anyway, so it's like I might as well turn this off, right? So you're watching like one hole. It's much. It's much must-watch television. Exactly. You know, the gallery proves your point, too, because Tiger had so many. It was a, it was a madhouse following him around, and the announcers even made uh, – Made it, talked about it a little bit to where the, it's a shame these people miss so much golf because Kupka was just playing it out of his mind and all these people, including journalists, are all watching Tiger. And that's who they're there to follow. That's what the storyline is. I have seen a couple of different outlets today talking about how to find a way to capitalize on Tiger Woods's reprominence. And at the same time, also, I think I made a word up there, doesn't matter. And also, find a way to highlight some of the other stars on tour. But I think CBS did what they had to do yesterday. CBS was just trying to capitalize as much as possible. It was all Tiger, all Tiger, all Tiger. And I still think they did a good job of highlighting Kupka. Uh, but there was one point where they did say, much like you mentioned, Brian, but in a different regard, they said, yeah, his storyline is it's not going to get noticed as much because of Tiger. Okay, well... You guys are also covering it that way, too. It's not like the CBS broadcasters were innocent in that whole thing. Yeah, no, they have a little control and content there. (laughs) They do, and it was a a big issue, I thought. Well, not issue, but I think they they were a big reason why it went down that way. Now, as for Tiger contending in future majors, we talked about this a little bit today in our show meeting. I think it's going to be harder for Tiger Woods than people think it is. He finishes second here. He's in the top five at the Open Championship, and that's great. But I think what we saw these last two tournaments is an example of what we're going to continue to see, which is if Rory's not playing well, then Kupka will. If Kupka's not playing well, then DJ will play well, or Spieth will play well. There was a time where Spieth was the phenom. He was the next one, right? I think there are so many great young golfers that when they put it together, they can be better than tiger woods i just think that that's the case now tiger played i thought about as well as you can expect him to play and he was only a couple strokes off but at the same time i think every single major championship from now to the end of his career tiger's going to have to worry about one of those stars whether it's kupka or rory it doesn't matter but he'll have to deal with one of them and whichever one it is will obviously be playing at the top of their game and that's the problem he'll have to play against six or seven tremendous young skilled golfers and tom said during the show meeting that Kupka's a mutant. I mean, if he if he puts it all together consistently, and he even mentioned this yesterday on the broadcast after the tournament, if he could put it together in regular tournaments as opposed to just the majors, the momentum he could build towards those majors would be unbelievable. I think Tiger's going to have a hard time. It doesn't mean it's not going to happen. I'm not going to say that. Hell, what he's done since December is unbelievable. But I think that the battle that he's got to fight here is going to be harder than I think people are giving him credit for. It is a tough battle for sure, but the thing that's back first and foremost is Tiger's mental ability now. There was some of that Zen Tiger that you haven't seen for years. He felt it. He knew he was playing well, and even when he was hitting bad shots, he w- he was turning them into good things. Yes. And, and I think even if you go back to the days where he was dominating, I mean, he always kind of had somebody knocking at his door. You know, you had guys like Duvall or Els or Singh. All those guys were kind of in the mix at all times. And I think that, you know, he, he's always beaten somebody back a little bit. Back then, the physical kind of overtook everything along with his mental, and those guys just didn't have a chance. But I think he has a good chance to do a couple good things. I think he's got more majors in him. 
here because of that mental factor, and now he's finally found his swing again. I think he can fight these kids off if they're having a phenomenal day like Kapka did yesterday. I mean, you know, it is what it is. He's not going to beat him on those days, but he's got wins. The problem with those kids, though, like Adam was saying, with Kupka and DJ, Spieth, Justin Thomas, their biggest strength is the long ball, the drive. They crush the ball, Kupka especially, like 350 yards down the middle of the fairway. What's Tiger's bigness, biggest weakness right now in his game? It's the ability to hit the long ball. He can't hit his driver. And part of me says throw the driver away, play a finesse game, irons down the middle of the fairway. But like Crowley said, these kids are hitting the ball further than they ever had. I don't know if you can just wave the white flag and try to finesse your way to a championship and win because they're reaching par fives in two almost every time. Is it fair, though, to expect him to win a major? Because that's the feeling I get is he's expected now to win another one, and I don't think that that's fair. He's been there these last couple of these last couple of tournaments, and I've thought, oh, my God, he's going to do it. I mean, hell, he was leading the back nine of the Open Championship. But just because he did that, and just because he did what he did yesterday, and he shot 66, 66, 64 the last three rounds, doesn't mean to me that I think we should be saying he should be expected to win. Oh, he's going to win one. Oh, he's going to win another couple more. The next one's not for eight months. And for a guy who has for so long been battling injury, the best thing for him is to keep playing. He'll keep playing. He'll keep practicing. But I think that long layoff doesn't help either. And I think just having gone through everything that he's gone through, I don't think you can say it's a failure if he doesn't win another one. It's definitely not a failure. I mean, if anything, what he's done so far is is a monumental comeback. I mean, even without a win, right now what he's done is – is something that most people, and I'd, I'd even go like 90% of people never thought they'd see Tiger to where he was yesterday. And the thing that gets me is this slow progression. It's not just like here he is playing a great round and then he's going away. This year, slowly but surely, incrementally, he's gotten better That's true. and better and better. And there's a patience to the approach that he has that that's paying off. And and I would have never said he'd be right here a year ago. I, I would have been shocked if somebody said this was going to happen. But now I don't know where the ceiling is. I mean, he could go to the offseason, work out, come back next year, and just be even better than he was this year. Is this the most impressive thing Tiger's done in his career? True. I mean, I think it is. To come back years after he was a player who could contend, to not only contend at one major, but two, and yesterday give us all butterflies thinking that he could very well win the darn thing. For him to do that after reinventing his swing back in December, I know he what he's done at St. Andrews. I know what he's done at some of these great golf courses. I know what he's done and how he's lapped the field at times in his past and did so so spectacularly that you thought, oh, my God, I've never seen anything like this maybe in any sport. But for him to have taking so much time off due to the injury and due to his other personal things and come back and do this, I absolutely think it's the most meaningful thing for his career, to be sure, and maybe even the most impressive. Meaningful may be a better word. You know, if you have a career of someone else, like a Phil Mickelson or something like that, and they pull this off, then you can probably make the statement that it's the the greatest uh feet in their career but tiger is on such a level with what he's done early on it's hard to say it's the greatest but meaningful i agree with you there because 
Yes. I mean, this is something where everybody in the world has counted him out. He has hit absolute rock bottom, drug across every TV screen with a DUI, cheating on his wife, all that stuff. It's just as low as you could go as a professional athlete to someone who was at the tip top of their game. And now he's gone through all that and come back meaningful for sure. Yeah, we're talking about a guy who ripped off four majors in a row. In 2000, he won the U.S. Open, the British Open, the PGA, and then came back around and completed that Tiger Slam in 2001 and won the Masters. That's the most impressive thing that he's done. To like, just ima- we were really impressed that Brooks Kupka won two out of the four majors this year, and they weren't even back-to-back majors. There was one in between that. Imagine watching him, and we did watch him, but just rip off four you know in what? a row. It's okay, incredible. So I think it's a really good point, but at the same time, we've seen we've not we've not seen that before. But we have seen dominant golfers before. I mean, we have seen golfers look like that. Jack Nicklaus. I mean, he was obviously the other goat, right? We've seen that. What we haven't seen is a guy get his spine fused together and then come two shots off of winning a tournament. Like so, to me, it's more impressive. Uh, and imagine where he'd be if, he, if it didn't happen. I mean, imagine where he'd be if for the last 10 years he was what he's doing today. Uh, Jack wouldn't have had a shot. This that, right here—that's also crazy. This too. right here, Adam, is one of the greatest what ifs in sports because yes. I'm with you, man. I mean, can you imagine if none of that happened and he stayed healthy and just kept going? And we'd be in the 20s right now. I mean, we would be. It's insane. As a sports fan, and this is not a nice thing to do, but as a sports fan. Isn't it better this way, though? A little bit. Story-wise, yeah. I mean, if you're going to watch it in a movie, this is the way you write it's it. It's almost like a movie. Yeah. It's like a script right out of Hollywood. Well, because I, I guess the question is, do you prefer watching just pure dominance? Because that's entertaining, too. If Tyra just kept shooting out major championship victories the way he was shooting out other stuff over the course of his life, <laughs> oh, no. I, think, I think that it wouldn't have gotten old. We would still marvel the way we marvel at the things LeBron James does. But for this, you get a little bit of both. You have his prolonged dominance early in his career, in his early 20s, and then as he moves through his 30s. And you've got now the proverbial, pun intended, back nine, <laughs> where he's not hitting the fairway, very literally, and he still has an opportunity to go out there and, and make birdies, and he's still got an opportunity to go out there and contend. I think, to me, it makes it that much more entertaining. And I think that even, to take it one step further... All these close finishes, these two, they make the Masters maybe the most must-watch sporting event of next year. Like, without a doubt. The Tiger, oh, yeah. Tiger has set the table for that to be just an unbelievable spectacle. I can't wait to see him in the green jacket, frankly. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all know what t- Tom will be shooting stuff out, too, if he's wearing that green jacket. Won't you, Tom? Oh my God! Oh, uh, I'll, I'll help him already. I'll help him. <laughs> you know what? You know what this comeback would have been, Adam, for real. Like, think of Mike Tyson and how far he fell. If he would have come back and actually started beating the hell out of people again, that's where we are with Tiger right now. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Like dominance early and then gone away. Everything falls apart. Your wife leaves you. You end up in court, and then but but Tyson just didn't come back. OJ should have come back. <laughs> that would have been the real. That would have been the real test. I think the problem was OJ did come back. <laughs> Coming up next, the great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun, brought to you by To Be Determined. It's the Crowley Show.
He's Pittsburgh born and we like him that way. What an incredible Cinderella story. This unknown comes out of nowhere. This is the Adam Crowley Show. The Cinderella boy. On 970 ESPN and now on 106.3 FM. Oh, just dropped my water bottle here. The Pirates are just, they're so maddening. To draw an analogy, my wife and I have conversations all the time about things that need to be improved upon in the relationship. And I think all good relationships have that. So there'll be a couple weeks that go by. Maybe I don't do all the little things around the house that I should be doing. And she'll come to me and she'll say things like, Hey, you know what, Adam? I don't appreciate that you haven't been picking up your end over here. I know you're at training camp. I know you got a bunch of stuff going on, but maybe help out a little bit more. And you have the conversation, and you improve upon it. But after I've improved upon that for a couple of weeks and then go back to what I was doing before, well, she has the right to get even more mad, doesn't she? Adam, we've talked about this. Adam, you need to be a better husband in this regard. Adam, you got to fix this. Adam, you got to fix that. Adam, you have to improve. And that's how I feel the Pirates are. The Pirates, they finally do the right thing. They finally do it by going out and getting Chris Archer, going out and getting Cleone, Kayla. Never going to get that name right. And they go out and they get Adani Echevarria. And you think this is what good baseball teams do. This is what contending baseball teams do. This finally feels like they're doing the right thing. And as a Pirate fan, you think, okay, this is the best the relationship's ever been. This is the most that I ever trusted this organization. This is the most I've trusted them if you're older since the lumber company. This is the most I've trusted them since the early 1990s at all. You can say, finally, this relationship is back. But just like a couple weeks from now, whenever I don't do the laundry, and my wife flips out, the Pirates have now relapsed. And now I, again, am not trusting them. Again, I think, really? We just did this. We just got better. We just mended this damn thing. Clay Holmes, really? He's going to pitch instead of Trevor Williams. Trevor Williams hasn't given up a run in forever. We're going to pitch Clay Holmes because we just saw the Pirates rotation pitch in Colorado, and apparently you're allergic to winning after that. So for as good as I felt about this organization three weeks ago, two weeks ago, they lost some of that street cred today. Because every time you think that they're going to be better, every time you think that they're going to change their ways, every time you think they're going to do things the way real baseball organizations do things, something like this comes up. The one Nicasio deal comes up. We're going to ship them out so we can save $600,000. And you start to remember all the old times. It all starts to spiral. When my wife and I fight, do you think we just fight about what happened that day? No. The entire relationship's history is brought into question. That's the way it goes in a relationship. Leanne, I'm not happy you did this, just like you did this 15 years ago, remember? Remember? You haven't changed your ways. And maybe it's not fair, but we're going to do it anyway. And maybe the Pirates have done far more good than bad this year, but that doesn't mean we can't overlook the bad things that happened before. And it doesn't mean that them doing something like this can't make us look back. Let down. I'm upset. I'm happy that the Pirates aren't playing today. I need a little space. 
It's time for the great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun. Brought to you by To Be Determined. And now it's time for the great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun. Brought to you by To Be Determined. That was redundant, but I felt like I needed to get the sponsor in there, so we needed to say it twice. Woo! DJ Durkin, the head coach at the University of Maryland, is the classic example of what coaches think they have to be, but don't have to be. A player dies, and it's because the environment that he's created is a toxic one, where players who don't succeed are belittled, Players who aren't quote-unquote tough enough are belittled and chastised. Players are expected to do things above their means to the point where it becomes uncomfortable. And I feel like this is a perfect example for this country to look at that as a problem. There are a lot of great football coaches. My best friend in college played football, and his coach wound up like being a second father to him. There are great stories like that all throughout the football landscape. But there are also a lot of stories of men who are football coaches thinking that you have to do so, such and such and so and so to be a man. That your masculinity is defined by what you do in this circumstance, in that circumstance. And, oh, don't drink water now. Don't be a pansy. Don't be a wuss. Don't be a sissy. Don't take a break. You didn't do this rep right this time. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Like Herb Brooks back in 1980. We're smarter now. And Herb Brooks is a great man. But this is a habitual problem that is affecting a bunch of different levels of football, I think, right now. And we need to realize that you can be a great coach and a great masculine football coach and not put these types of ideas in these negative things in kids' heads college, high school, otherwise. Mike Tomlin's a great example of this. Mike Tomlin will say things to goad players. Mike Tomlin knows how to push buttons. Mike Tomlin does not belittle. One of the things that John Mitchell has done, he's been a Steelers coach for decades now, formerly defensive line, now the associate head coach. One of the things we always said about him was he breaks players down and builds them back up. But the way he does that is he treats them with respect and he does things that they can handle. And yeah, there is a mental side of it, no question about it. He's also physically telling them what they can and cannot do, and he breaks them of bad habits and builds up the good ones. The good coaches understand that every person's different. The good coaches understand that there are some players you can push harder than others. The good coaches understand that football is only part of it. Mike Tomlin loves football, but Mike Tomlin does love molding young men. And college coaches, they're all up in the business of winning, and they get paid swimmingly to do so. And maybe it's the culture created above them that trickles down that makes them this way, but college coaches are so focused on winning that it doesn't necessarily matter as much about the development of a human being. It doesn't matter as much that a player become a good person when they leave the program as opposed to just a good football player. And you can have it both ways. You can do it with both. You can be a good football coach and a good person and get players to graduate the program. And this is going to sound biased as all get out. But when you talk to players who played for Bob Huggins, he was hard on them, is hard on them, but also treats them with respect. And they also talk about what a great guy he is. Think about him crying over Deshaun Butler in the Final Four as West Virginia lost to Duke back in 2010. He cares about his players. He's crying with his player. 
and his players cared about him, and he's produced NBA talent, and he's also produced good men. You can get into the business because you don't just care about winning football games, because you're not just in love with scheming and X's and O's, but you get into it because you want to teach young men how to be good people, and you want to teach them the lessons that football can provide. And in order to do that, you don't have to pull out the whip. In order to do that, you don't have to pull the water bottle away from them. And I hope that if there's anything good that can come out away from a college athlete losing their life, it's that people need to realize, coaches need to realize, that there's a different ulterior way, alternative, pardon me, way to do things. James Connors hurt. He didn't practice yesterday at Steelers camp. Hurt the groin. Yanked the groin and not in the good way. Pulled the groin and not in the good way. And I have heard, though, some positivity from that. Mike Tomlin said after practice, well, this gives us an opportunity to look at younger players. I get why he's being positive. I just talked about how important being positive is for a coach. But that's an interesting slant, isn't it? I've read no less than two articles today in the morning that suggested that him being hurt isn't the worst thing because you get to see a couple of the other younger players. Jalen Samuels gets a chance, and can Fitz Toussaint make this team? And is Stephen Ridley going to be able to hang around on this or maybe another NFL roster? And all it does to me is realize that, make me realize that James Conner doesn't seem like he can handle the load. And it's probably not serious, doesn't appear to be serious, but it's getting banged up when it's all he's done in his career both collegiately and at the NFL level. Last year, he's hurt. In college, yes, cancer, obviously, big deal, but he's hurt. Now he comes to this level, and he's the number one back in camp. He's getting the majority of the carries. He's proving himself. He had a great preseason game, and what do we see again? He's injured. He gets banged up. Chris Hoke tweeted, the other day during the Steelers game, I could absolutely see James Conner carrying the load for an NFL team this year, being a number one for the NFL team this year. And, yeah, the way he was playing, he could certainly profile as a number one. But the way his body holds up is not a guy who can carry the load at this level. So for everyone who's making a positive, taking a positive from this circumstance, I think you're wrong. Jalen Ramsey was suspended for getting into it with a beat reporter, and people think the Steelers are the only team that has to deal with distractions. I've been critical of the Steelers and their distractions, no doubt about it. But that being said, there are other teams that are going to have their problems as well, and the Jacksonville Jags, they might be getting a little too big for their britches. This is a football team last year that went 10-6, and and yeah, they went to the AFC Championship game and played against the team, the New England Patriots, that is one of the best of all time. And they fought with them, and they hung with them, and they led for a good portion of that game. But what have they really accomplished? Nothing. That football team could go south in a hurry and not the AFC South. That's pretty bad. A report indicates that Todd Haley looked into a hard knocks camera and said something along the lines of, Sitting Baker ain't my idea. Aditi Kink Wallace says her sources say that's not true. I guess we'll see whether or not it's true on hard knocks tomorrow night at, what, 10 o'clock on HBO. You can see this blowing up, can't you? I bet you... Todd Haley is going to be the interim coach in Cleveland if and when they fire Hugh Jackson. But I bet you there's going to be a bunch of tension between him and Jackson prior to that. And you know that the quarterback controversy is going to be the reason why there's a war, why there's a battle. I can't wait to see it all unfold in front of our eyes on HBO. Coming up next, Mark Caboli right in front of my eyes. 
He, of course, from The Athletic. He'll talk to us about all the issues going on in Steelers camp. You're listening to The Crowley Show. This is The Adam Crowley Show. Enough! I'm putting these back in my pants. They're mine. This is crazy. The Adam Crowley Show on ESPN Pittsburgh. I've been getting slowly chunkier over the course of camp, and Wes makes fun of me. He says, Crowley, I haven't been here very often. Here's the deal. I've been driving back and forth, and on the days I'm staying, I haven't been working out either because I've honestly been hungover. And so the problem is, when I'm at home, I eat like crap, but I work out five days a week. Now I'm eating like crap and working out zero days a week. I guarantee you I've gained four or five pounds over the course of training camp. And I'm not a big guy, so four or five pounds feels like a lot to me. And I'm getting a little brush burn where my gut meets my pants, which definitely means that, hey, there's a pound or two there that might not have been there when you started. Or you've just been drinking so much or eating so much you've just been bloated enough that that's a problem. That being said, I'm being told by Dale Lolly and Matt Williamson that I haven't been at training camp enough. Uh, they've been giving me crap. Mark Aboli joins me now on the show. Mark, they've been giving me crap that I haven't been here enough. Who's giving you crap? I mean, who do you think's giving me crap? Lolly, somebody who's Pursuta, know, Williamson, yep. the guys who are here. Every the guy night. that the guys that you know closed it down last night. Yes. You know, it was about 11, uh, 11 o'clock, and Pursuta started to play uh, bar piano. Yes. So I knew it was time to go. See, this is tremendous because the last thing Dale said to me was that. Pursuit was playing piano at the bar yeah, last yeah, night, yeah. and you guys didn't talk, and no. then you come in, bam. That's the first thing you say to me. You, you know when he's about getting ready to point of no return, and it was early. My radio shows suffer greatly if I drink every night, and I, I can't do it anymore. I just can't. You just smoke every night. That doesn't happen anymore. I quit cigarettes. So I'm fine. I'm good. I'm safe. We're happy. So you're staying tonight? No, I'm not. I do stay every night. I went home one night. The only thing worse than staying up here in this campus, in this dorm, in this awful bed, is driving back and forth on Route 30 for like 37 miles each day. So that's this is the second worst thing. See, I'll disagree. I have to share a room with Wes, who's one of my good friends, but it's two guys in an 8 by 8 room. It's either I sleep with him or I go home and sleep in a bed with my wife. So that's the move. I used to think, oh, you know, I have to stay up here. No, I don't. I, I go home as much as I want. I can stay as much as I want. You know, at least us older gentlemen waited till we're in our 40s to become wimps. And you're, you're what? Mid to upper 20s? You're, uh, if you had the to curve. share a room, you wouldn't be here every night. Depends on who I had to share the room with. No, it doesn't. You wouldn't be here every night. I wouldn't be sharing a room. Somebody tried to share a room with me one time. <laughs> His name was Dale Gurdnick. And uh, I said no. And that was it. Mark, let me ask you this question as it relates to the Pittsburgh Steelers and not the Pittsburgh Steelers media. Is this secondary actually going to be good? It could be. I mean, they got they got probably more talent they have right now than they've ever had, well, at least in my mo- most recent memory, because it's depth. It's a lot of depth there. I mean, you're looking at – I mean, it's unproven depth, but it's talented depth all across the board. So, Plus, finally, you have that go-to guy that – that superstar, that guy that can be the shutdown corner, and Joe Hayden, and you got the guy who's 
pretty doggone good in Artie Burns. So, yeah. I mean, plus Terrell Edmonds is a guy that Keith Butler said today, you know what? Don't count him out being a starter. So Where's he going to start? Mm-hmm. You tell me. Well, tell me right now. It may look like he could be a, uh, uh, well, he's not going to replace Morgan Burnett, so put it that way. Or it might be handed toward, hey, if he keeps on this path, he might be in that starting lineup before you know it. Because that's how, maybe not uh, uh, not a, you know something against Sean Davis, but how quickly he's excelling. Well, I want to. That's that's where I was going to go. I mean, is he going to be replacing Sean Davis, or do you be that's in t- place of an inside linebacker? That, that's tough. Uh, that's tough because you don't think that Terrell Edmonds would be that guy that would be the free safety, the typical free safety. But they keep telling us, you know, they don't have to, uh, prototypical free safeties. It's left and right type of thing. If that's the case, then yeah, well, why not? I mean, Sean Davis is a guy that's been oft injured in at least training camps over the past couple of years. And if this guy excels to the point where he can go out there and play multiple positions, why not flip he and Sean Davis? But it's still going to be a, you know, as Bill Cower used to say, a mute point because they're all, they're go- most of, a lot of them are going to play. I mean, Terrell Edmonds could play slot. He did play slot last year in Virginia Tech. They haven't asked him to do that now because they want him to get acclimated to that one position of strong safety until they start moving him around, but he's he's on the fast track, so I wouldn't be surprised if he gets in more than you would expect. Was Keith Butler speaking to the media as a whole or just the one Mark uh, So will this be in the athletic tomorrow? Actually, no. I'm doing something on your quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger, who is um, a 36-year-old man now having to deal with a lot of 21-year-old wide receivers. Oh, boy. And it's it's an interesting dynamic. There's a little bit of a uh, a gap there in the – Communication skills. I'm not quite sure what Ben knows what Fortnite is. So is he? Is he chagrined with his? No, boys? he's not chagrined. He's just at the point where he has to find different ways to get garner their attention. You know, he, he's not going to have dinner over. He, he's not going to be, you know, having the uh, candy and what does Juju eat? Those little candies. I don't know. Juju playing, fruits? No, whatever he likes. That would make sense. He's not going to be eating that stuff and playing Fortnite. Say, hey, uh, by the way, there, Juju, on that one play, you probably should have ran there. Nah, you got to get his attention. Some not only him, but it's the other receivers, mind you. There's Quadri Henderson's 21. Uh, I think eight of the 11 receivers are a decade younger than Ben. So it's a little bit. Uh, he's just going different ways, and that's why you're hearing him a little bit playing the father figure and yelling at some guys because he's trying to get some of their attentions. You know what's going to happen now. You know what you did. You're going to stir the pot. You're going to get the media all worked up that these receivers are divas. They're just young. I know they're just young, but sometimes that's what people think young means. But but the thing is, is, I mean, it doesn't mean they're they're Don't write it. This is on the quarterback's way of now trying to adjust how he deals with people. And that's why he flipped out on Justin Hunter. Because Justin Hunter wasn't paying attention. Now Justin Hunter's 27. Probably should be in a different class. But you do have 22-year-old James Washington, 21-year-old Juju, 21-year-old Quadri, 23-year-old Damon Patterson. You just can't go up there and say, hey, man, Let's just go hang out. It don't work that way. Ben got put it this way. Juju is about the same age difference away from Ben as Juju's the same age difference away from Ben's kid. So it's a weird dynamic there. 
All right, that's a point well taken. Mark Caboli joining us here on Steelers Nation Radio. Mark, is Darius Hayward's base spot on this team no. safe? Yes, yes. I thought you said he was going to go. He's safe. Yes. For sure. Absolutely, 100%. The guy's faster. I talked to him about this a couple days ago. He says, I haven't ran a 40 since college, so I don't know if I'm still 4-2. Because I can tell you one thing. I'm faster than I was last year, and I was faster than I was the year before that and the year before that. Um, Do you believe that, though? Yeah, oh, yeah he is kind of quick out there. And it's not only that is they put so much emphasis on special teams, if it's cover and if it's the gunner position. Plus, what did we just talk about? A bunch of 22-year-old receivers. Okay. The oldest receivers, who's Antonio, who we know where his mind is, not a lot of times that's with his teammates. So you might need some sort of a fatherly figure there. So I, I think absolutely, definitely he's safe. Eli Rogers, definitely not. Well, he's just going to be put on regular season popping. You won't see him it's good move. week eight, if that. They might just pop him the whole year. Type of so what do you got right now is your wide receiver depth chart? I really haven't broken down the depth chart right Break it yet. down. I don't know how many Break it down keep. now. You busted your head. You weren't planning on doing how many, that. How many do you think they're keeping? Antonio, I Juju, I'm asking you. Washington. Those three are making it, yep. Darius, according to you, is definitely making it. There's four. There's four. Tucker, they Tucker. need a slot guy, five. And probably Hunter, Hunt, maybe. Hunter's interesting. I don't think a guy like Patterson's going to make it. I think practice he's, squad. he's practice squad written all over it. He's got a big Somebody, head. Does he? Compared to his body. I never really noticed. That's uh, one thing I picked up. Tevin Jones, Trey Griffey, those guys. Nah. Tucker's, I'm just trying to think of results. A lot others. of these position battles turn out being less interesting than we all think they're going to be. I still hear them on that station across the street talking about. They're not across the street right now. Well, across the Route 30, then down the parkway, then. <laughs> through traffic. Through traffic. <laughs> Yeah, maybe I should stay here tonight. But they're still talking about the quarterback battle. There is no quarterback battle. I didn't I tell you there that never like has months been. ago. I told you that months ago. You and I, hey, look, we're on the same page. I've been saying it all along, too. I mean, it's Landry is number two, slam dunk. Uh, Cros- Crosby, here I go again. Mason Rudolph's number three, slam dunk. And I feel bad for Josh Dobbs because he's playing pretty well. He's putting together another uh, good practice the other day. But it's just bar. only way Josh Dobbs makes this team is not cut, put it this way. There has to be an injury to one of the top three guys. Outside linebackers. Or, or even himself. Right? If he is injured, then that's then good it's over. That's the best-case well, scenario. Well, can he? Can they just say he's injured? Well, they've done it in the past well, <laughs> with guys. Let's Jordan Zumwalt, you remember him? They Keon should just have Adams. him come out to Sharky's with us tomorrow night and get banged yeah, up. That final preseason game, you know, a minute left, all of a sudden you got a shoulder and – you know, it's going to take six weeks. Let's put him on IR. Something's in his eye. And all of a sudden, he's Cataract. more valuable to them next year than he is this year. Yes, there's no question about that. Outside linebacker's interesting, though, right? Yeah, but Dupree just had a kid. I don't know what happened on November 10th of uh, 2017, but he and Marcus Gilbert must have been celebrating something. <laughs> Was that the bye week or something? What happened in the first, first week of November? You, uh, West Virginia, lost a football game. You were... I don't remember what was going on. You were you had the highlight of the pro, uh, post game, wasn't it? You who asked Mike Tom, who congratulated Mike Tomlin on what? On uh, Dupree having a kid. Who was that? Who said congratulations? No, that was Gilbert. Gilbert had the kid. Okay. Gilbert had the kid the other day. Okay, and Dupree has one today. I see. Dupree, well, that's why he's not here. Was that you who said congratulations? No, no. I thought it was. Somebody I only heard why, it muffled through the. Somebody asked radio. why Gil. I, I think it was Ed Bouchette. 
And he says, that, I didn't have that. It wasn't my kid. <laughs> Who do you think? So, Farrington Huguenin got the start. Yeah. Uh, is he the guy? No. He's the guy who has the most experience, which means one year, right? Right. Who's the other guy? Danny. Yeah, he's 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 another guy. You, you hope he, Ola. You hope he can sneak him onto a practice squad type of situation. He's only 20 now. Who's your fourth guy, though? Because, I, I mean, Chicklos. I don't even think Chicklos good. Chicklos making the team. I know that, but I don't think he's good. swing man for both of them. And Keon Adams. I think those are your top four. I mean, I think there's still an inside backer issue. Yes, a big issue. But those three are the those three are making the team. Matikavich, Bostic, and Vin, Vince Williams. And then yeah, after that, I love LJ Fort. He's Do another, you? Yeah, he's another guy that his special teams outshines everything, and he makes it. But I like Keith Just, Kelsey too. He's a guy that he he's a different type of guy that they can knock keep your more head than off. Four? I have to. When you don't have any, you just keep numbers, right? I'd go the other way. When you don't have any, start sliding start sliding safeties down. You have to keep a couple extra safeties. That's what's going to be interesting about cut day in a couple of weeks is we're not That'll quite, tell you. We're, we're not quite sure what their makeup's going to be because we don't know if they're going to keep an extra safety over an extra inside linebacker or what. What feel do you have from that just watching the practices? What, safeties or Just inside? over scheme-wise. Scheme-wise is that they just want to have, like, that toolbox that has 30 different tools. You know, you have that specific tool just to remove a, a, a screw that had the broken head off of it when you're trying to unscrew yes. it. Sort of something like that. They want to have a tool for every single situation that calls it, hey, you know what? Uh, we, we need to have somebody to cover a fast but not big tight end. We'll play this defense. Uh, we want a team that doesn't like to run the ball on anything less than third and two. So we'll use the dollar package so we know we're going to force them into the seven defensive backs. They just want to have a ton of different things. So on game day, if a team's gashed them, they can switch to it or they can game plan towards it. So I don't think we can sit there and say they're going to be a hybrid team. They're going to be a dime team. Obviously, they're going to be multiple defensive backs team. But uh, look what happened in New England. They went four defensive linemen and well, three defensive linemen. Outside Lambert took one out because they wanted the bigger front. They want to play man. They want to play zone. They just want everything. I like it. I think it's the way to go. I think that's the way the league is now. But at the same time, I'd like to see them get good at some things before they start rolling through well, them. Well, that's but why they didn't unleash the old dollar against the – Well, they the unleashed player. the dollar this week. Oh, they, they, played they, the they did a seven-on-seven seven drill with a, a lot the other day. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if we'll see it quite yet. But apparently it worked pretty decent in practice yesterday. Because when you get Roethlisberger holding the ball a couple extra clicks, you're thinking, okay, this must be working a little bit. If if he's holding on to the ball and not quite sure where to go, well, it must be working. So I think they're going toward that direction. Good stuff, Kabali. Can I go back have, to bed? Yeah, have fun sleeping in the dorm room. I'll sleep in a bed tonight. Real bad. No, it, it's a big Geo's night for us media folks. Oh, you're doing the Geo's yeah, dinner tonight. Yeah, you could have stayed if you wanted. I came last year to the Geo's dinner, and that's, that's the not... night that I lost my credit card, and it was delivered back to me by Kevin Colbert. So Really? I did not ever hear this story. I'll tell you off the air. Just get the hell out of here. Here's, here's the deal. I need to be smarter about the way that I handle myself, and I can go out like four or five times at camp and drink, and that's fine. If I go out every single night, I will drag. The shows will be terrible. My bosses will say, you suck, because I can't handle alcohol the way I used to be able to handle it. I can handle it that night, and that's the problem. And then the next day, it's like, oh, boy, what did I do? So it's, it's, I'm growing up. I'm maturing, much like the Steelers hope Terrell Edmonds will mature. Uh-huh. Coming up next, the Pirates were laughably stupid.
laughably stupid with their decision to start Clay Holmes the other night. I'm very angry to the point where I'm going to rant about it for 16 minutes. And then we'll hear from Lance Lazowski at 620. It's the Crowley Show on ESPN Pittsburgh.